Welcome to Little Known Crime. I'm Chandra Mel. This episode, I have my sister Jessica Patterson on as a guest again. Hi. So I've been struggling to write lately. Um, I believe that I have mentioned this before on the podcast. I'm not good at talking off the top of my head. So generally, I will research and then I will write a script for myself so that I can try to create a better, more organized storyline for the listeners. This time around, I've been really struggling to write. So what I am doing is I'm having my sister on the podcast, and we're hopefully going to have more of a conversational tone to today's episode. So first, I want to start out with an update to the missing person that I mentioned at the end of last episode. So if you listened to last episode, young Anne was abducted by her husband and there was a missing persons alert for Washington state that was released, including the vehicle that she was believed to be taken away in and a description of her and her husband who kidnapped her. So what has been released in the days since? I'm going to go ahead and give information taken directly from some news sources. So there was a 911 call from a house. And when the deputy arrived, the 911 caller told the deputy that the woman was hiding behind a shed on their property. When he approached her and shined his flashlight on her, she recognized him as a deputy and she sprinted at him screaming and crying for help. She said that her husband was trying to kill her. So he saw that she had duct tape wrapped around her neck her lower face and her ankles and her clothing and her hair were covered in dirt. So she identified herself as young Anne who had been abducted on Sunday. And um, she said that her husband was still out in the woods somewhere. And then the deputy noted that the woman was in extreme distress and a state of trauma, of course, and she was having difficulty recalling what happened to her again, of course, So when she described what happened to her, she said that she had been running in the woods for the last 20 to 30 minutes. And she said that from her house, her husband, Shay Ann, which I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, had kidnapped her. He tied her wrists, hands and ankles with duct tape, and then he drove her out into the middle of the woods. So she said she had been arguing with him on Sunday afternoon um, in their home about an impending divorce. And money, of course, because those issues are always huge. And one thing else, or another thing that was noted was there was a domestic violence um, report that she had done on him in the past. And she had a, she had a restraining order against him, but that had been removed. For what reason, I do not know, but I know that there have been uh, reports of him coming over to do laundry once a week. And so I guess that's what he was doing at the time that they got into this argument. So uh, she said that he attacked her in the bedroom, punching her in the head multiple times and threw her to the ground where he tied up her arms behind her back with duct tape, taped over her eyes, her thighs, and her ankles. At that point, um, he left the room momentarily and she was actually able to call 911 with her, uh, excuse me, she was actually able to call 911 on her Apple Watch while her uh, hands were tied behind her while her hands were duct taped behind her back. 
So it's really awesome. I know we don't talk a lot about things like current technology, but yeah, I was just about to say, thank God for current technology. That shit was not possible previously. Yeah, exactly. That, that's something that definitely does help in situations like that. You d- you don't even really have to think or you don't even really think about it. But it's, um, yeah, <laughs> I guess I don't really know what to say. That's amazing. Yeah. So she said that she could hear the dispatcher talking, but she obviously couldn't communicate because she had duct tape over her mouth at the time. And then when her husband returned, he uh, dragged her body down the hallway, down the stairs to the front, um, to the garage door. He realized that she had the Apple watch on and smashed it with a hammer. She was thrown in the van and driven around for a while. Then she was taken out of the van and put on the ground where she could hear him digging in the dirt. She said he stabbed her in the chest with a sharp object. How many times, I do not know. And she recalled being dragged on the ground again and put in a hole in the ground where he put a heavy tree on top of her and then started to bury her. So she was able to wriggle around to prevent the dirt from being on her face. Excuse me. And then, okay, let me try to make this cohesive. While she was being buried alive, she was able to wriggle around enough to prevent the dirt from being thrown directly onto her face. She was in the grave for a few hours, and then when it was dark, she wriggled her body to get the tape off her arms and legs, and then when she took the tape off her eyes, she saw the van was still there, but the uh, windows were steaming and there was light on inside, so there was not easy visibility with the steamed up windows and it being dark. And so she got the tree off of her, got out of the hole, and ran for the 20 to 30 minutes until she came up to the house of the people who called 911. So needless to say, um, this woman wasn't found. She's a fucking badass. She's a survivor. This woman fought to get herself. She was being buried alive and fought and got out. Which, I don't know, like... I don't know how many people consider situations like this, like (laughs) all, all my anxiety folks out there that imagine what your reaction would be like if you actually were to end up in this scenario. Um, I personally cannot imagine myself being the kind of person who has the degree of like togetherness Mm -hmm. to be able to think, to do these things, to survive that it legit, like she's a badass. Absolutely. And that's the thing too. It's impressive as hell. It is because you never know how you're going to react in any given situation. You can think that you're going to react a certain way, but you don't know if you're Mm going to freeze up. You don't know if you're going to fight or, you know, there's the fight, flight or freeze. And I Mm -hmm. like going off of what you're saying, like I, I, for one, Always when I think about situations like this, like if something were to happen in this situation or that situation, I'm always afraid that my brain will freeze up and I will just not think. And I, Mm -hmm. you know, won't be able to come up with what to do. And some people really, and you know, you can't help it. It's not your fault if that happens. But it's just incredible to hear about this story. This woman got out and so, yeah, she made it. And um, let's see, what else does it say here? So the law enforcement did um, find the location that she was talking about. And they, when they got there, they found the hole and they found duct tape and even some hair of hers. They also found his vehicle and they were able to locate him and he is in custody. 
So he's been booked on multiple felony domestic violence charges. And that's pretty much what we know of right now about the case. But she survived. She made it out. She's awesome. And hopefully with the court proceedings that go on in the future, he will not have access to her. That is that is the ideal outcome for anything like this. And I wish that we did hear more stories about like this. I wish there were more updates we could have on your missing persons similar to this. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason that I think that we're able to with this one, as opposed to the other ones is first of all, we're the Washington state patrol. They are, they're working on improving how they're doing things. They're updating um, their procedures and this just broke. And this is one of those things that's being implemented now is not only do we have Amber alerts, but now we have the missing uh, missing indigenous people alerts that are coming out and um, missing endangered or endangered missing people's alerts that are now coming out. So those are all um, happening so people can be more aware. Like I said last week, Mm-hmm. or excuse me last episode this is this is an alert that my husband and I got on our phone yeah it's really incredible that that's happening and also the this actually has been like on the New York Post not New York Post but it was like on the Washington Post and um i think i'm pretty sure this is like national news because you know it's not every day you hear about cases where somebody was buried alive yeah and so i think the um the craziness of the case is what's brought more attention to it. But yeah, mm-hmm. and I, I don't know how much we're going to hear about in the about it in the future, but it will be good or it's good to know that she at least survived. Absolutely. Now that we've done that update. All right. So let's talk about this is actually another uh, recent case. The one that I'm talking about. This is the murder of 35-year-old Korean-American Christina Yuna Lee on February 13th, 2022. She was found stabbed to death in her bathtub in her Chinatown apartment in New York City. My God. Yeah, it's pretty awful. So this woman is... She's, like I said, she's 35 years old. She is a New Jersey, um, she's a New Jersey native and she, well, I'll talk about what she does in a little bit. So this woman was returning to her sixth floor apartment in Chinatown on, at about 4.30 in the morning on February 13th, 2022, and There's actually recordings um, like CCTV footage or whatever in the apartment complex. So what happened was there's footage of her being followed walking down the halls. And they suspect that the individual saw her entering her building at about 430 in the morning and basically snuck into the door before it shut behind her, followed her up six flights of stairs without her knowing it, and then basically got into her apartment behind her. So not long after that, a neighbor heard her screaming from her apartment and they call 911. When the police arrive, they hear her calling for help, but the door was locked and before they were able to break it down, they could hear her eventually go silent. 
So they break the door down. They make entry into the apartment and she's dead and she's bleeding out from over 40 stab wounds. Yeah. So imagine being the person on the other side of that door trying to break it down and hearing her slip away. No. Like, I cannot imagine the level of like guilt that person probably took on. Well, the unfortunate part about that, too. I mean, I know I hear you. And I've been disassociating from trying to put myself in those shoes because, yeah, that's that would be an incredibly hard thing to have to experience. But she um, you have to think about, too. And yes, you're going to you're going to feel guilty. There's no stopping that. But then objectively speaking, even if they made it into the apartment, it's not likely she would have actually saved her. Right. Unless there were already paramedics there or something. You know what I mean? And maybe in that situation. But, yeah. So. <sighs> that That's fucking rough. It is. That's that's fucking rough. Like, that's, that's all I really got on that. It's, uh, I just, wow. And. So. Go ahead. And what? No, go ahead. So one of the things that I think of initially, like right off the bat, hearing this whole thing, honestly, is like about my work. So, you know, I, I work for apartment complexes and the very first apartment that I worked at, um, it was interior access. And we had an issue fairly regularly with people propping the doors open so that they could like bring in groceries or so that they could let in a, a guest without having to go all the way downstairs and wait around for them. Um, and so like people always consider the idea of like propping the doors open as a convenience or something there. It was a fucking struggle to get people to stop doing that. And they were still doing it by the time I left. And that's like my biggest thing is we would have break-ins all the fucking time because of that. Really? Luckily we didn't have anyone straight murdered because of it, but like the possibility is so high. Why would you, <sighs> because people aren't careful enough with making sure locked doors stay locked. Because people don't think it's going to happen to them. That's the thing. You think, oh, it's just going to be a minute or it's just it's just this. I don't see anyone around me. It's not going to happen to me. I'll be it'll be fine this time. And then it becomes habit and people continue to do it. The complacency that people have when the world that we live in is becoming rapidly more aggressive. Mm -hmm. It's just it's. And for the listener's sake, she's not blaming this victim in this case she's not saying that oh absolutely not she's not no, saying i'm just saying she's like, being complacent or she was being complacent in this situation it is specifically the fact that there are so many other people in the world that become complacent like the person who leaves the door propped open is not necessarily the person whose house is getting broken into mm -hmm. you know like it, and it's just i have an issue that so many people don't really care about the world around them yeah. I don't know. This is a dark, dark situation. It really is. Yeah. I, I feel like I was not forewarned about the content of this. You were not. You were not forewarned. It's also something that I consider every single night when I go to check my front door, because I'm the only one in my fucking house that locks the front door. Yeah. Annie does now, too. But it, it's a concern. Like, even my husband, who's been 
through war and he's been in some sketchy situations where he lived around people like that were like crime rates were super high. Mm-hmm. I, I'm shocked that I'm the only one locking my goddamn front door. Yeah. Well, because that's the other thing is if somebody just walks into your apartment, your guys's the way your apartment complex is set up, there is visibility. People would see somebody walk into your front door. But the thing is, is who's going to pay mm-hmm. attention and think about it? People aren't going to pay attention yeah. and think about, I've never seen that person before. They're they're just going to think, well, they're not going to think about it at all. Exactly. Because they're not going to be nosy Nellies about it. They're going to be minding their own business. Yeah. Another thing that I found absolutely crazy about this, when the police were checking the apartment, they found 25-year-old Asamad Nash hiding under her bed. So the attacker had evidently tried to escape. I read somewhere that um, it was like he tried to escape through the fire escape, but he failed to do so. And so he basically ran out of time and just hid under the bed. Oh, my God. Yeah. The good thing is, is they found the attacker. Yeah, Pretty immediately. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Reports are saying he has at least six arrests since May of 2021. Um, One was allegedly punching a senior citizen, but the most recent was January 6, 2022. He was accused of damaging a, um, I believe, so it says a 27 Metro card machines across the city. And he's, of course, going to be charged with her murder. Though I will say that I haven't seen any more updates as far as the case. And they're probably still putting it together. You know, court cases, they take a long time to get together. He has a record, though, to the knowledge of what's been put out there so far that I've seen. This was his first exceptionally violent. Punching a senior citizen is violent, but this was, you know, this takes it to another level. And I've read... It really does. I I don't know um for sure if there was sexual assault involved or not i did read at one place but you know that may not be something that they're wanting to publicize as much in the interim but yeah there was no speak of robbery so i do believe there was a possibility that that was um a motive there is a lot of talk in the asian community about how they believe this is going to this was a hate crime police departments or the yeah the police are not treating it as one but of course with all of the um anti-asian and pacific and pacific islander hate crimes and hate incidents that have been happening especially in new york city the last couple years a lot a lot of the public is really believing and feeling that that's you know kind of what it stems down to or at least a part of it so then you have to think about the fact you have to think about so there's another article that i was reading and it's by an Asian American writer, which let me cite her. So there's a woman by the name of Michelle Lee who wrote an opinion piece titled Why Christina Yuna Lee's Homicide is Personal to Asian American Women Like Me. And so she goes over the the murder and kind of the community that they are both from. But she also discusses that, here, here we go. So, quote, for Asian of women descent, racial bias is often intricately tied to misogyny. To the Americans who fixate on them, Asian women are perceived as submissive, as quiet, as fetishized objects, as victims less likely to report violence. End quote. And that was something that really stuck out to me because you do see a lot of that in media, in the public, and 
that's part of the reason that some of these Americans may find it easy to victimize Asian women specifically. And I'm not saying that they're the most victimized, but there are factors that go into all aspects here. So that was something I wanted to note about that. I want to just cover some of the words of the uh, Asamad Nash. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name correctly or not, but wait, so they actually like interviewed him about this? Oh yeah. Yeah. So we, I have a, um, a May 21st article by Dana Kennedy and just reading some of the quotes so he believes he'll get off scot-free because he wasn't caught on video killing her with her own kitchen knife. Right. Like he doesn't. What the fuck? But here's the thing. He may not. He just may not be of the utmost intelligence and recognize. So um, That's fair. he was seen on the surveillance following her into the building. Oh, so it was on there. He followed her into the building. He pushed his way into her home and then he was found hiding under her bed. But so, yeah, there's a 30 minute video interview with him in Rikers Island, and um, he doesn't think it'll be enough evidence. So I'm going to read some quotes by him. So, yeah, and I quote, first of all, they got to have me on camera killing her. I'm not on camera touching her at all. They only got me on camera going into the building. That's it. They ain't got no camera showing me killing that lady. And then he says he was trying to get into a mental health program at the hospital in a bid to beat the serious charges against him. And then they said he kind of exploded when he was questioned. And he said, listen, you're not listening. They got to have you on camera killing her. They don't got me on camera killing her. They only got me on camera following her into the building. Then he started or he went on to (laughs) he went on to say she called me. She invited me over for a party. She was having a party and she invited me over for a drink. I was too high dusting K2. So he doesn't he said he was under the influence and didn't remember I don't remember nothing. I told you I wasn't in my right state of mind. It's being, it's crazy being on that stuff. And then he said that situation happened. Then she died. And they told me I did that and all that crazy stuff, you know? So he's kind of seems all over the place. Like he, he doesn't really have any actual argument. I think he's just trying to, it's, he feels like he's grasping. Yeah. Like, like he's trying to find the loopholes. Because at no point is he saying, I didn't do it. At no point is he saying, like, I wasn't found there. He He's legit saying, these are the loopholes. These are my loopholes. Mm-hmm. This is why I can't be charged. So oh it God. also says here that he, he is charged with first degree murder, burglary, and sexually motivated burglary. So there is a little bit of information on his background. But, you know, I just, I don't care. I'm not going to share it. You can look it up if you yeah. want. But I don't care. So I want to um, end this highly unorganized, poor storytelling of this woman's murder with... Okay, so just a little bit of a description and how she is described by people who knew her and worked with her. Again, she's a New Jersey native. She worked as a creative director at digital music platform Splice. And the owner of the building where she was killed told the New York Post that she had moved in less than a year ago, and he said that she's such a sweet girl. So she graduated from Rutgers University, where she studied art history. And uh, again, Brian Chin, who is the um, owner of the apartment building, so her landlord, 
said the following things about her. She was a wonderful soul, a wonderful person. She had the entire rest of her life ahead of her. Then, in a statement coming from Splice, where she worked, they paid tribute to their irreplaceable employee who was senselessly murdered in her home. They released a statement on Twitter along with the caption, R.A.P. Our beautiful friend and colleague, Christina Lee. Over the weekend, our beloved Christina Lee was senselessly murdered in her home. Our hearts are broken, always dedicated to making beautiful and inclusive artwork. Christina is irreplaceable. As we start to process this tragedy, we ask that you remember Christina Lee as the magical person she was, always filled with joy. We wish peace upon her family in their grief. That's just fucking heartbreaking. Like, what do you, what do you do with that? And exactly, what do you do with that? Because, oh gosh, violence always happens. It's, it's never non, not existent. Excuse me, it's never non-existent. Mm-hmm. And again, with the, with the um, Asian American community, they are speaking up, saying that the officials need to be doing more work to protect them and to work harder to make changes in the community for protection and um, so on and so forth. And I can't say one way or another if this is a hate crime. I know that that is an argument coming from both sides of the coin that it is and it isn't. Whether it's a hate crime or not, it's still a murder that happened to this young woman who was simply just returning home yeah. early in the morning. Like, regardless, that's something that you should be able to feel safe doing. And regardless of whether it had to do with her race or not, she wasn't able to. And I, I just don't even know what to say about this case. This is all the information that I was able to gather about it. And so it's I, – I think – I really couldn't put a beginning, middle, and end to this to have it very organized and cohesive for you guys, but I still wanted to share it. I keep trying to, like, come up with something, but honestly, like, it's just legitimately, like, it's horrifying, it's senseless, it's stupid. Like, the person who did it, like, there's nothing on their end except, like, made up loopholes no remorse no reason yeah like the whole thing just feels bad someone what it seems like is it's just someone who saw an opportunity and took it and and i hate that because like i don't know because you can't just you you can't be vulnerable at any time and not even just you and I as women, but especially women of quote unquote minorities in this country, like, because there's less justice for them. No matter which way you try to argue it, it's the truth. And so people, yeah, no matter the race, ethnicity, culture, whatever, the people who are targeting them, whether they're considering that or not, they know it. And it's really horrifying to think about walking up six flights of stairs to your apartment and you're being followed that whole way. That is a fucking nightmare. That is a nightmare. How many women actually, okay. Uh, how many women actually have that nightmare? I know that that's something that is definitely like presently on people's minds a lot, like especially women because like, 
it it has to be. Yeah. It has to be on our minds all the time because this is such a prominent issue. Mm-hmm. And it's something that, like, it's advertised as a prominent issue and it's still growing as an issue. There, There's things specific, like, products specifically targeted towards helping women keep safe when they're alone. And mm-hmm. I just... I don't know. I'm I'm kind of getting to a point where I'm a little bit at a loss for what to say because this is just so fucking horrifying. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, that's exactly what it is. It's it's senseless. It's stupid, and it just pisses me off. Like the thing that I always think when I think about somebody, like if somebody were to try to attack me especially like sexually motivated attacks, I get angry and I, (laughs) and it's, it's not something that would stop the situation. I know that, but I get so pissed because I'm like, who, who the fuck do you think you are to touch another person? The audacity that you have to think that you have any right to lay your hands on another person. Fuck off. And again, if I were to say that to an attacker, that wouldn't stop him. You know, obviously, I know that. But it's still, it's just like, who the fuck do you think you are? Back up. Mm-hmm. Keep your hands off people. Let people live their fucking lives. You fucking asshole. Mm-hmm. Regardless, I hope this man gets charged. And I hope this isn't a situation where he gets put in jail for a year or two and gets let out on good behavior where there are no women to stab to death. Um, I keep thinking like there's no way that he can't be charged. Like it, it's like it. It seems like the case has just been handed to some lucky lawyer. Yeah, it, it's so easy. On the other hand, I keep thinking back to all these other cases where I hear the sentencing and I'm like, really? That's yeah. it? That's the thing. Like what they did was this severe, and that's what they're getting. And that's the thing. You've got two stories that happen with a crime, okay? So you've got the salacious story of the crime being committed and the perpetrator, you know, when they're caught. And that's the end. That's when the credits roll. And that's when Mm -hmm. you're like, they got the bad guy. They have the evidence. They can prosecute him. They're off the streets. They're good. The people are safe. They're not hurting anybody anymore. Then... You hear the court proceedings and how the court cases end. And even if they're prosecuted and they get sentenced to 25 to life or whatever the fuck, you can hear how they got out in 18 months or two years or seven years on good behavior. But it's like, okay, okay. And this is just one aspect. Good behavior doesn't mean a fucking thing. If you're a pedophile... If you're a fucking somebody who attacks people of the opposite gender, or even if you attack people of the same gender, it does not matter because you can play good. And it's so easy to be, quote unquote, on good behavior when you're in prison. You're not free Mm -hmm. to go out and do things. Now, that's not to say, obviously, that's not to say you can't do awful things in prison. Of course you can. Awful things happen in prison every day. But speaking on this point specifically, it is so easy to have this quote-unquote good behavior. And people do that shit all the time. And then they get let back out. And 
in our prison societies in America, do you think they're rehabilitated to where even if they could be rehabilitated, do you think they are? No, they're not. Because our prison system is awful. They don't create this prison system. It's for profit. It's not built to actually help people get better. It's built to for fucking free labor. Yeah. So... Yeah, what I was thinking is our prison system is not a rehabilitation center. It's a punishment center. Like, there, there's legitimately no other purpose for it. There are some prisons that do allow, um, like, services that come in and help to rehabilitate in some ways or offer um, rehabilitation services. But the prison themselves don't give a shit. That's not what they, yeah, that's it, not what they're built for here in America. It's bonkers. I hope that this gentleman because it it doesn't sound like he, he's innocent uh by them finding him in that situation. So going off of the um going off of the assumption that yes, he did commit the crime and murder this woman. Mm-hmm. I sincerely hope that he doesn't get the opportunity to, to do that in the future. Because it's very likely, it'd be great if this wasn't the case, but it's very likely that if he had the opportunity to reoffend, he could just evolve, learn to pre-plan. Yeah. You know, find a way to escape and all that. Yeah, so that's that awful murder. So, the next thing I want to do is give a little bit of information about... Um, in Asian American of history and this I wanted to put on a lighter note because there's a lot of bad happening so I'm going to give a little bit of information on the biography of Anna Mae Wong Anna Mae Wong is the first internationally recognized Asian American actress And she lived 1905 to 1961. She was born January 3rd, 1905 in Chinatown area of Los Angeles, California. Uh, She was the second child of eight children and her birth name was Wong Liu Song, which means frosted yellow willows. And then her parents gave her the English name, Anna Mae. So her family was originally from Taishan, China, but her grandfather emigrated to the U.S. in the 1850s. He opened a store in California um, around the area and time of the gold rush. In 1858, Wong's father, Sam Singh, was born. And soon after, her grandfather died while he was trying to rescue a woman that fell into a well. So her father returned to China and then um, came back to the U.S. after his first marriage. So he married Gong Toy Li, who had also been born in California. And then they opened a laundromat in uh, L.A. They lived in a, a diverse neighborhood and they attended California Street Public Elementary School. And her and her older sister were teased and bullied. And then they lay, um, then they were later moved to a Chinese mission school in Chinatown. So growing up, she worked in her family's laundromat and she attended Chinese language classes. 
After the film production moved from New York to California in the 1910s, she started visiting movie sets. So she would actually start skipping school and she would use her lunch money to go to the movies. And then at the age of nine, she decided she wanted to become a movie star. So she came up with her stage name, Anna May, uh, Anna May Wong, sorry. So in 1919, a casting call went out for Chinese women in a new film called The Red Lantern. So without her parents knowing, she um, asked her friends, her father's friend to introduce her to the assistant director. She then was cast as an extra and was asked to carry a lantern in one of the scenes. This was her first movie role. And then she began or continued to work as an extra in many movies while attending school. And then in 1921, she dropped out of uh, Los Angeles High School to become a full-time actress. So that same year, she landed a role as Toy Ling's wife in the film Bits of Life. And then at the age of 17, she got her first leading role in the movie The Toll of the Sea, 1922. So this was a first um, this was the first feature-length film made by Technicolor, and this was a silent version of a movie uh, called Madame Butterfly. This is so uplifting. <laughs> I, I like. I love thinking about the way things were at some point where money wasn't as big of a struggle. Like wages were on par with inflation at that point. Oh yeah. And so she would just like sneak out of school because what were they going to do? Call her mom. Mm -hmm. And then she would go like use lunch money to go to the movies. Like that shit's adorable. And like, it's so heartening to consider. It is. It is. And I also want to say that I am straight up pulling this information from biography from the biography of anime Wong at womenshistory.org. So just so you know, I did not type this stuff up. I am somewhat paraphrasing what I'm reading here because, as I said, I'm struggling. Okay. So she continued to audition for lead roles, but she was always cast as a supporting character or as typical Asian characters. So um, anti-miscegenation mm-hmm. laws um, in the U.S. at the time prevented interracial marriages and even prevented interracial actors from kissing on screen because, of course, this was this would upset the white public yeah so because of this uh this prevented her from landing some of the leading roles in romantic movies and then in march of 1924 she created her own production company called anime wong productions excuse me oh nice so she could make her own films about her culture however the company closed after her business partner was caught using bad business practices So after many years of trying to work in American films, she left Hollywood due to the constant discrimination. Uh, She moved to Europe, and then she starred in many plays and films, including Piccadilly in 1929. And then she was in her first talking film, or as they call them here, talkie, in 1930 called The Flame of Love. So in the 1930s, Paramount Studios in the U.S. contacted Wong and promised her leading roles upon her return. She returned to the U.S. and starred in the Broadway production of On the Spot. And then in November 1930, her mother was hit by a car in front of the family's home. Okay, so the rest of her family stayed in the family home until 1934 when they returned to China. So... Back to her career, while working on films in the U.S., she was still asked to play stereotypical Asian roles. And then 
when the director of the film Dangerous to Know asked her to use Japanese mannerisms when playing a Chinese character, she refused. She later accepted another stereotypical role in Daughter of the Dragon because she was promised that she would be able to appear in a Joseph von Sternberg film. She later appeared in one of her most famous films, Shanghai Express, with her friend Marlene Dietrich. After this movie in 1932, she spent the next year touring China. Uh, She returned to the U.S. in the 50s and became the first Asian American to lead a U.S. television show for her work on the gallery of Madame Liu Song. Wong also planned to return to film in the U.S., um okay so on february 3rd 1961 she died of a heart of a heart attack at 56 years old and after her death the asian american arts awards and the asian fashion designers group named annual awards after her and then another thing that i want to actually bring up is uh i found this after i decided to talk about her so this is actually pretty freaking cool anna may wong is to become the first Asian American to appear on U.S. currency. What? Yup. So this article by The Guardian, and this was on a couple other articles, but this was the one I clicked on, um, came out the 19th of this month, so 11 days ago. Starting Monday, her image will be imprinted on quarters across the country. Recognized as Hollywood's first Asian-American movie star, she acted in over 60 films across a decades-long career. She called for a... Oh, my God! Yes. She called for a greater representation of Asian people in Hollywood and challenged stereotypical depictions at at a time when, quote, Yellowface dominated the industry and the Chinese Exclusion Act was still law. Um, So a quote from her in a 1933 interview with the LA Times, quote, why is it that the screen Chinese is nearly always the villain of the piece and so cruel a villain, murderous, treacherous, a snake in the grass? We're not like that. End quote. I just got really fucking excited. Yeah. I never imagined like so there are certain monetary pieces that either hold the image of a woman of history or have temporarily held the women of women of history like the Sacagawea mm-hmm. coin I believe it's the dollar coin or half dollar mm-hmm. gold dollar yeah but I don't think all of them have her depiction on them yeah and it's not um, and then uh, like a permanent thing yeah and then i believe there was uh wasn't rosa parks on money oh, for a bit i don't know what else? she was on the silver dollar okay so we're getting dollar coins here um what what is uh anime wong supposed to be on a quarter yep we're deteriorating guys well but this one is we're backstabbing (laughs) this one is going to be something that is used much more often than the silver dollar or the gold dollar yeah and circulated a lot more too yeah because for how long have they been doing different stage which is cool but this is this is going to be something special oh absolutely I honestly, I I really cannot wait to get my hands on one. Yes, yes. Okay, so I do want to read the rest of this Guardian bit article. So in 1960, Wong was awarded a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. She died the next year uh, when actor Lucy Liu became the second Asian American woman to earn a Hollywood star in 2019. 
She lauded Wong as a, quote, pioneer while enduring racism, marginalization, and exclusion. The director of the U.S. Mint, Ventress Gibson, described Wong in a press release about the coin as, quote, a courageous advocate who championed for increased representation and more multi-dimensional roles for Asian American actors. The coin is the fifth design of the American Women Quarters Program, which highlights female pioneers on coins. Previous designs featured astronaut Sally Ride, activist and poet Maya Maya Angelou, the first woman chief of the Cherokee Nation, Wilma Mankiller. Oh, what a name. And (laughs) (laughs) And the suffragist Nina Otero Warren. So... That's the thing I didn't know what was happening, but yeah, and there is an image here. Um, I am going to episode 15. I'm going to take a picture here and send it to you right now so you can look at it. Okay. And it's so, 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 so exciting. And I will include the, the image on this article in the um, Instagram, Instagram and Facebook posts for the episode as well. So that should be coming to you. Gord. Oh, that's beautiful, too. Mm-hmm. It is. Very elegant. I imagine she was pretty elegant. Well, another thing it said on that article was that she was... Um, it says, despite being considered one of the most beautiful female actors in Hollywood, she was never cast as a romantic lead as laws prohibited the people of different races from kissing on screen yeah and that was quoted from the new york times so yeah yeah and i'll definitely be including at least one picture of her on there i'm excited the whole thing is happening that was really uplifting in general which i appreciate um and i think it's nice to include that dose of positivity on here Mm -hmm. i appreciated it it is and even if it's not always as uplifting and positive, I do, I have been, because um, I know you struggled to actually listen to this podcast, so I'm more saying this for your benefit. But with the um, Asian American Pacific Islanders cases, I have, or episodes, I have been doing um, a person or event from history to kind of help people learn a little bit more, including myself, because I'm learning as I'm doing this. These are things I didn't know about. Um, Yeah. Activists or, you know, events from history regarding Asian Americans or Pacific Islanders. So that was something, yeah, I I was looking today and I wanted to do someone that was a little bit, it would be a little bit on the lighter side. Yeah. So, yeah. So um, now I'm going to... What I'm going to do is I'm actually going to list off the um, Washington State missing indigenous person from the Washington State Patrol list. Let's see here. Go down my list. Where am I at? Okay. So as of July 4th, 2021, 16-year-old Dallas Kapoman, and that's C-A-P-O-E-M-A-N, and she's a female, was reported missing. If you have any information regarding the whereabouts of Dallas Kapoman, please call the Tacoma Police Department at 253-287-4455.
And again, Jesse, I want to thank you for guest starring on this show. When I listened back to the other episodes that I had you on, your input really does add a lot of quality to this podcast. And I just appreciate having your voice on it with me. Oh, thank you. I, I honestly look forward to being on more episodes in the future. I'm sorry that the last couple of months I've been kind of crazy busy, but it is something I enjoy doing with Yeah, it's absolutely. Absolutely. So we'll uh, definitely look forward to having you on again sometime in the future. And uh, at this point, I'd just like to say thank you to the listeners um, who have been coming in. I I was telling Jesse on our mutual podcast that we're starting um, called Fighting with Dead Guys. Not out yet, but we're working on getting a couple episodes. I, I have listeners in a couple other countries which is really exciting and yeah so if you could just continue to share this podcast more people you know the more people hear it the more we're gonna be able to share the histories of cultures that aren't getting the uh publicity that they deserve and you know mine's just a tiny little podcast it's not it's not like the news channel or anything like that but it's definitely it's something so Go ahead and uh, make sure you're following this podcast and uh, rating it and reviewing it because that definitely helps to spread the word and it helps other people who may be interested to have it as a recommendation. And if you're interested, you can definitely follow me on Instagram at Little Known Crime or on Facebook. I have a Little Known Crime Facebook page and also patreon.com slash Little Known Crime. So thank you so much for tuning in. If there's anything that you would like to hear me cover, please feel free to contact me at littleknowncrime at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. I'm Chandra Mel, and this is Little Known Crime. <laughs>